American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. The ultimate iteration of the Keynesian policy playbook is seen in the mid-1960s with Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, as president. Johnson wants to eliminate persistent poverty in the United States. There's about 10%, uh, he believes, of the United States population that is still desperately poor uh, despite all of the gains of the last 30 years. And he wants to, in so doing, create what he calls a great society, a society that provides a hand up, not a handout, for every single poor person and indeed for every, every individual uh, in that society. So he proposes a, a whole host of new measures, uh, job training, job creations program, and the creation of Medicare, old age insurance, or old age medical insurance, uh, to eliminate persistent poverty among America's elderly. And he believes this will create uh, a literally a new kind of society that's still capitalist, uh, that still has its elements of laissez-faire, if you will, still has its elements of the market, uh, but a society that will not leave anybody behind. Johnson's Great Society idea, however, founders on the rocks of 1960s uh, crises, uh, the whole proliferation of crises, economic crises, uh, domestic, cultural, and political crises focused around issues like the Civil Rights Movement, uh, and of course, the crises created both at home and abroad by the Vietnam War and by his attempt to spend heavily on the Vietnam War um, but also uh, on his domestic great society programs. And it's at this point that we start to see real cracks in the Keynesian consensus. Now looking back, looking back before uh, the, the day in early 1968 when Johnson acknowledges the defeat of his attempts to sort of have it all, to have Keynesian policy, to have uh, a uh, aggressive policy in Southeast Asia uh, to do all of these things and maintain the value of the dollar against U.S. currencies. He admits defeat um, by saying he won't um, run for president again. And looking back to uh, the period before that day in early 1968 when he does that, uh, many have, have seen the pre-1968 period of the Keynesian consensus uh, as a kind of golden age of American capitalism a managed capitalism, a capitalism that uh, distributes the rewards uh, of its innovation uh, and of hard work much more successfully than the kinds that came before and the kinds that came after. But it's worth noting that there are some caveats. Uh, there are some caveats to seeing this uh, Keynesian playbook as something that could easily be reproduced in other eras. Uh, and in particular, uh, th there are probably um, three that we should think of. Uh, the first uh, is that this was a unique period uh, for the United States economy vis-a-vis -vis other world economies. In 1945, most other industrial economies were devastated by the war. So the U.S. economy, particularly the industrial sector, has the ability to find export markets all around the world much more easily uh, than it will have after about 1960, when Japan and Western Europe in particular start to become very competitive with the U.S. and with U.S. products. Secondly, um, this is also a period, uh, particularly the period before the early 1960s, uh, in, in which there's prosperity, but it's prosperity primarily for white Americans. It's prosperity that is conditioned on a political consensus of white working class Americans and others 
that essentially leaves out African Americans from many of its, um, its greatest gains, many of its greatest opportunities. African Americans in the North are voting for the Democrats, but they're not seeing the same benefits as white Democrats are seeing uh, from labor unions and from government programs and so on and so forth. So it's something that leaves people out and maybe could not have given the, those other white Americans uh, so much um, if it had given the same thing to African Americans. And then finally, it's also a period in which uh, the American working class, at least the white working class, is unified in a kind of unique way. Remember, immigration closed in 1924 to all intents and purposes. Most of the people who work in American factories and who are members of labor unions in the 1950s are born in the United States. They're not divided by language. Uh, they're not as tied to early national origins. And they have the ability to work together much more effectively against management to demand what they want. So it's not clear that this could be reproduced any other time, any other place. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University.